here tonight. How many would rather be here than in jail? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I had to. I had to. I tell you, God is so good. You think these services are doing you good. Let me tell you something. They're doing me some good, too. And I am having the time of my life sitting at Sister Sass's feet. Oh, you all are so privileged to have her. You know that? If you don't watch out, we'll take her back to Indiana with us. Would you like that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, we've been asked each night to each night make uh, some comment about our ministry in the helps ministry. And God gave me not too long ago a beautiful, beautiful scripture in the book of Psalms, Psalms 147 and verse 3, just a little bitty one. It says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And when I read that scripture, I thought, Oh, God, I thank you and I praise you because this is exactly what you're doing through human instrumentality. Mm -hmm. We have no power in these hands save Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't move, we can't move either. But our ministry is called the Helps Ministry, and we go into places that are hurting, that are wounded. Many times they have been wounded by uh, the ones right in the church. You know, Jesus said in his house he was wounded, mm -hmm. and this is true many times, uh, too many times really. We Christians carry a chip on our shoulder right here, and we said, I dare you to knock it off. Well, somebody's going to knock it off. And usually the case, they not only knock the chip off your shoulder, but they may injure your shoulder in doing so. So it's not very good to do this sort of thing, okay? But what happens is somebody gets hurt, somebody gets wounded. A lot of times pastors are just almost to the point of being burnt out. They're tired, they're weary. Some of the churches do not give their pastors time off. And if they take a two weeks vacation once a year... They think that's enough. Hang it up and forget it. But you all remember one thing. As many as there is out there, a pastor is burden for each one of you. He loves you. She loves you very, very deeply. And every time you're hurt, they're hurt. Right. Now, many times you keep your hurts to yourself, but a good pastor will know when somebody in his church has been hurt. Maybe somebody at the job has treated you unfairly. Maybe you've gotten fired and it wasn't your fault. Uh, maybe a relative of yours has really offended. And you're just, as Brother Holtzclaw said last night, you're in the dark night of the soul. And when this happens, sometimes you can't get up without somebody there to give you a hand to pick you up. And this is what God has done with us. And we feel privileged. Amen. You know, we're not that old that we can't go around and help somebody else up. I know some of you look at us and think we're antiquated, but really we're not that old. And we lift our brothers and our sisters up and try to encourage them and help them and get them back ready for a battlefield. It's kind of like you're in a warfare, which you are, but you're in a warfare and you get wounded and somebody takes you to the hospital. Well, there has to be a hospital and there has to be someone to care. And God has chosen us to do this. And I think it's neat. I really do. Because you can put your hands on them and you can pray for them. You can listen to them. And oh, I tell you, the stories, the very stories that I could tell you would raise the hair on the back of your neck. But you know, God doesn't let me tell you what somebody else tells me. What they tell me goes between me and God in prayer. And then I begin to bind the wounds, and God says, put this little bomb on them here, and start off with saying, I love you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I love you. We were in a church. That feels good, didn't it? Didn't that feel good? We were in a church where, honest to goodness, I don't know when the last time the husband told his wife, I love you because they were so rigid and so stiff. And of course, you all know me by now. I like that. And I said, everybody, husband, turn to your wife and say, I love you. Do it. Turn to your wife and say, I love you. Husband? 
Come on. Husbands, tell your wives you love them. These are you. <laughs> I have to turn around. Wives, tell your husbands you love them. I love you. And do you know what I did next? I did a terrible thing in a church house. I said, husbands, hug your wives, and wives, hug your husbands. And, oh, I tell you, this was a... I got the strangest looks, but they had been taught, you obey the one that's standing up here. And they did, and all of a sudden, there was a giggle. And there was a, a, a sneaker. And then there was a whisper went in somebody's ear, and I didn't know what they said, but their face turned red. So that was... <laughs> And now, when we go into that church, husbands are holding hands with their wives, and they're smiling at one another, and it's not like it has to be, you know, like, I have to come to church with you because that's the dignified thing to do. It's not like that at all. It's beautiful to watch God begin to mend and mend. When he mends you in the church and he mends you in the home, I don't care what power of hell attacks you, they can't break you. Come into your home, and the first thing you do, instead of saying, what's for supper? Say, hey, I love you, and I missed you today. And I'll guarantee you, whatever it was on your shoulders, it just all goes away. And if the children were having a bad day, and you feel like pulling your hair out, and your husband comes home and says, I love you, and then you look at him and say, gosh, I love you too. With all these kids, I still love you. <laughs> but don't you see, if you can mend the broken hearts, just, just bind them, heal up the, the broken heart, and bind up their wounds. And this is what God has granted us the privilege of doing. And just going around the country, and I tell you, it has blessed my heart and lifted me up and let me to know God cares. Yes. God cares for you. He cares for you enough that he's going to send a special ministry by just to mend your, your wounds, your scratches that you've got. You work today and you get scratched by a thorn. God's going to send somebody by to touch that. And I'm so thankful it's me that he does this through. But you know, you can do this. You can do it by showing love and compassion and tenderness and letting God work through you. He can flow through you. Because there's not enough of Brother Hostclaw. We're big, but there's not enough of us to go around to all the churches. Quit laughing at me. But you can minister to one another in this area. And don't be hard on your brother and sister. If they don't walk before God like you think they should walk, don't be hard on them. Love them. Because you didn't have to walk in their shoes today. Sometimes you don't have to live in the house they live in. If there's an unsaved loved one in that house, it can be pretty hard. So if they don't speak to you and you think they see you and they should speak to you, just think, Lord, bless them. They've really got a lot on their mind. Don't say, well, who does he think he is snubbing me? We always want to look at the words. Let's don't do that. Let's look at God. Let him take care of us. Let his love emit through us and shine through us. And I like doing this. We also go into churches where there's no pastors. And I guess that's where I get my biggest glory because then I can get by with this hug your wife and hug your husband and, you know, all that sort of thing. But most of the pastors don't mind either because they realize they're tired. And when somebody's tired, they can't always do their very best. So let them rest. Let your pastors rest. Let your uh, assistant pastors rest. Give them time to refresh themselves. Because when they refresh themselves, they come back and they can feed you a feast. Oh my. A spiritual feast like you haven't had in ages. So we talk about the pastors and the assistant pastors. We talk about the churches. And we just love them. We love God's kids. And he's clicking his fingers, so that means i got to hush. <laughs> She won't even fix my supper till I tell her I love her. <laughs> so you see, that's coercion, you know. Because I like to eat too well. I'd tell her anything to get to eat. <laughs> well, it's good to be here for me anyway. I was here last night. How many of you know that? <laughs> Some of you don't. <laughs> 
You don't know whether I was here or not, do you? I'm having a problem here with this. I've got, how many, how many ever wore trifocals? Then you know where I'm coming from. And I'm having a problem getting adjusted here to get my, to get my trifocals to work from this pulpit. I, I have to do this almost every time. I went across the little, little ditty uh, in a pastor's office one time and it simply says this, I can live with my arthritis, my dentures fit me fine, I can see through my trifocals, but I sure do miss my mind. <laughs> and I think that's what I'm missing tonight is my mind. I'm struggling with, with which direction to go. I don't suppose you know anything about that. But I love the Lord tonight. I appreciate Him more than anything else in this world or in heaven. I found in Him a friend. Sticks closer than a brother. I found in Him someone that fights my battles and leads me, guides me, protects me. And through my own stupidity, he recognizes that, and I fall sometimes and skin myself. He picks me up, puts a little band-aid on me, kisses me where it hurts, and tells me to go on living for him. Takes care of me. 19th chapter of St. Luke tonight, we want to visit a very little man. This is an old Sunday school scripture. Some time ago, God challenged me to look into old familiar scriptures. Because oft times, and we shared this with you before, oft times in old familiar scriptures, we hurriedly run over them when we're just reading the Bible because we've heard them from day one almost, from uh, the time we've been in Sunday school at all, and everybody has heard the story of Zacchaeus. And so when you begin to read that, you're prone to just skip a little bit of it. But God challenged me some time ago to look in to some of the old familiar scriptures, and I was so surprised to see all the things they had to tell me. And I'm sure I don't have all of it out of there. But I was surprised at how great they were and what God is trying to relate to us today through those scriptures. I would like to invite you, if you would, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I don't know that the law says that, but uh, it's just something that I like, and it gives you a chance to kind of stand and stretch yourself and prepare for the next hour and a half or two hours, you know, where you won't get real tired and weary. Everybody knows that's a joke. I'm long-winded, but I'm not that bad. Starting in at the first verse, we read the first ten verses, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, or to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, we thank you tonight for you are worthy of all the thanksgiving we can give. We're thankful, Master, to be able to stand behind this, your sacred desk, realizing our calling and realizing that we're fully dependent upon you. Father, we want to speak truth. 
Master, we want to speak something that is worthy of you. So, Master, we pray that you would rid us of all human thoughts and human ideas, any traditions that we might have within our own life, any thoughts that's not like you. Father, we pray that you would move them out from us and replace them with your divine guidance. We thank you tonight, Father, for the privilege of knowing you. We pray that you would anoint us. You pray that you would guide our thoughts, our mind. Pray, Master, you'd move upon and over the congregation, that you might move upon their hearts and their minds, Father, and bring, have them a prepared mind to receive the precious word of God. In this, Master, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's just stand in his presence a few minutes. It's been such a glorious thing, and the song service went along so good, pointing us to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he was going to come, and it's good sometimes just to stand in the presence of the Lord. Don't you agree with that? Just good to come and stand in his presence and feel him and to recognize the value there is in knowing Jesus and in the midst of all that's in this world of false doctrines and so on, isn't it good to know the truth? Hallelujah. Have it sealed and settled within your heart. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. Tonight a brief resume, and we'll not hold you all that long. Zacchaeus was a rich man. You all can surmise that from the reading, and he lived in Jericho, and Zacchaeus was hated. He was a tax collector for the Romans, and of course he was despised by his own countrymen. This man was small in stature, but he was small in more ways than one. Besides just being short, he defaulted the helpless. He sat in the seat of the customs, and he simply extracted from them everything that they was able to give and more to. He was greedy. He was raking in all the taxes he thought a man could pay, and the part of it is his conscience didn't bother him a bit. He was, besides that, a very unhappy man. He was compelled to be a loner. Nobody wanted Zacchaeus around them. And I've sat and tried to imagine what it would be like to be that lonely, to realize that your own countrymen hated you, and the individuals that you were working for, so to speak, didn't like you because of what you were doing to your own countrymen, and you were just simply cast out. I realize that everybody somewhere needs at least one friend. All of us do. I need more than that, but all of us need at least one friend. I was trying to imagine what a life this man must have lived, and even though he was rich, he was still a very unhappy man. Nobody wanted him around. Nobody cared about him. Didn't he? he was lost to all public approval. And when you lose public approval, you lose a lot, and he lost his own self-esteem. He wasn't even happy about himself. He wasn't happy about what he was doing, but he seemed to be caught into something, and he was lost to all warmth and genuine friendship. Now, I said all that to say this. This is a type of individual that Jesus Christ of Nazareth found himself in contact with. This is a type of individual that he gets his greatest joy of trying to reach into their heart and their soul. In other words, Zacchaeus was a man that nobody wanted, but Jesus wanted him. Jesus was concerned about his soul. And we want to talk tonight a little bit about provenient or advanced grace. Now, Zacchaeus was a prime example of the advanced grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Provenient or advanced grace, that's the love of God that is reaching out to draw lost persons to him and bring them in, into the place where they can have contact with him. A lot of that is done through intercessory prayer of God's people. There's a lot of people that we can't touch or witness to. A lot of individuals that we don't even know, but we can intercede for them, and the advanced grace of God will go out where they're at and draw them and prepare their heart for an encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ or with the Lord Jesus Christ. I was ministering 
on this line, not the same thing, but on this line some time ago in Decatur, Illinois. And the church got concerned about individuals. They had invited friends and loved ones and so on, but they were concerned about individuals, especially young people, and the town was being taken over by dope and all of this. And they was concerned about that, and they decided they would begin to intercede for those individuals. They'd, they'd pray for them that somewhere God would stretch with his grace, would reach out where they're at, regardless of where they're at, and prepare their heart and bring them in to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and a place that could help and point them to that. And they prayed pretty much during the whole revival and then just before the revival was ready to break. In come three young people. Nobody seemed to know who they were. They came and they took their seat kindly in the back. Usually in most churches, and I see this one's not much different, the back is usually full first. But if they could find a seat in the back, and I think they did, they found a seat close to the back and they sat there. And everybody was looking at them. They, they looked like uh, dope heads, potheads, and come to find out they were. Their hair was long, they were scraggly, the girl looked as bad as the two boys, and God only knows exactly where they had been or what they had been doing. But the church recognized that this was the travail of their prayer. This had something to do with what they were praying about. They didn't fully understand it at the time. And before, right after the message, Nobody said anything about an altar call. They just got ready to play music. And these three young people rose from their seat with tears streaming down their cheeks and literally run to the altar and there they found the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only did they find him, they were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost and Brother Stanley Bonus baptized them in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, in questioning those people, they had to tell them, what their name was. Nobody in the church knew who they was. And in talking to those young people, all of them said the same story, said we were out to have a good time. We were headed where we knew there was going to be some pots. And we was going to have a good time. And we wasn't even planning on coming down this street. And something moved upon us. Something we didn't know about. Something moved on us to drive down this street. It's even out of the way. And then he said, the closer we got, we saw this church and something moved upon our heart, all of us, to turn into this church. And they turned in and pulled into the parking lot and they said, we sat there for quite some time dumbfounded as to why we're here. Why are we here in this parking lot, in this church? What is happening to our lives? And though they didn't say much, seemed like automatically, just like that. They all opened the car doors, went into the building and sat down. Come to find out two of them had never at any time been to the house of God. The other one was raised, I think, a little bit in a Lutheran church. Neither one of them knew about the saving power of God or about the power of the Holy Ghost. And they said something moved upon us. And that church just like to lost it all right there because they realized what had moved upon those people. Their prayers had reached out and the advanced grace of God had gotten these hearts and pulled them into the house of God and prepared them for a meeting of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, that's how powerful God is. That's how strong He is. And friend, this is not something that can't be done in almost every assembly if we'll get concerned about it. The advanced grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was stirring this little man called Zacchaeus. Now what else would have prompted this little man to want to see Jesus? He certainly knew that Jesus stood for every, against everything that He was doing. He must have known if he would come in contact with Jesus that he would have to change his life and uh, certainly Jesus wouldn't condone what he was doing. But he had an urgency, something inside of him 
perhaps driving him that he couldn't understand, brought him to the place where he says, I must see Jesus. I like that when the power of God gets a hold of individuals so much that they have to say, I've got to see him. I've got to find a place where I can get a hold of him. And friend, there's hungry people out there in denominational churches that have been introduced to forms and formalities that have a hungry heart that's crying out and say, I want to see the reality of God in my life. I want to know his reality. I'm tired of bondage. I'm tired of drudgery. I'm tired of the falseness of it all. I want to find a reality in the Lord Jesus Christ. And something stirred in this little man's life. And that was the advanced grace of God. It was moving out and moving him and preparing his heart for a meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not the only time it, and we'll not take time to relate how the power of God, the grace of God. I like the grace of God, don't you? I like how it works in our life. Unmerited favor of God. We don't deserve it. But still His grace comes and moves upon our lives. And I like to see individual saints of God in churches interested in prevailing prayer and intercessory prayer enough to leave it in God's hand. There's a lot of times we can't say the right words. We don't even know the right people. But if we can intercede and ask God to send His grace, envelop a soul, and bring them into the house of God, and if He can do that, then we can furnish the rest of it. And we ought to be sure that we furnish them a reality when they come into the house of God. We ought to be sure that we have truth and righteousness and holiness and a vibrancy about us that won't let them escape. There's a ma magnetic pull about Jesus. Something that just magnetically pulled individuals like this man to Jesus. That's because that's what he came for. That's what he was here for. I remember the pull he had on me. I couldn't get away from him. I was raised in a preacher's home. I uh, got caught up in alcohol, was an alcoholic, but there was a pull inside. A magnetic pull of the Lord that wouldn't let me get away from the one that really loved me. And in the grand finale, His grace, advanced grace came, prepared this old boy's heart for a real genuine meeting with Almighty God. And when I came into His presence, my heart was melted and ready to meet Him. All right? So here was Zacchaeus, a prime example. Something moved upon him. He tried desperately to wake his way into the front, and he was edged out. I try to imagine that little man as he's standing there trying to get in, and they know who he is, and they despise him, and then he's too short, and he jumps up and tries to see over, and he can't see over, but there's something about him that said, I must see him. Nothing is going to stand in my way. So he runs down the road just a little bit farther. You know the story. And he climbs up in a sycamore tree because he knew Jesus was going to pass that way. And the grace of God was stirring in him all at the same time. And Jesus was coming that way. Why he looked up in there? Why he knew where he was. He knew where he was. His grace had already prepared the fact that he was going to be there. And he looked up. And Zacchaeus was saying all the time, I must see Jesus. And Jesus was saying to him at this moment, I must abide at your house. There was a meeting of minds. Zacchaeus said, I've got to see him. Jesus says, I've got to come into your house. He felt a compulsion. I like that, a compulsion to get to Jesus. That's what the world out here, that you and I know it, they need to feel a desire. They need to feel a compulsion to, to get to Jesus. They're not going to come into the church house until the grace of God envelops them, until it moves upon them, and they feel a desire to see Jesus. And when they do, they're going to try to find a place where they can find Him. Well, it's our place to furnish Him that place. We need to be a birthing station for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be someplace that brings individuals into the presence of God and let them know they're here for a reason. <laughs> Amen. They're here for a reason. And let's furnish them what they need. 
You know, time after time, individuals walk out hungry hearts, God's Spirit comes and moves upon them and impresses them, advanced provenient grace moves upon their life, brings them into the presence of God, and a lot of times they leave just like that. Because they look around and see the inconsistency of humanity, the failure of his saints to recognize him and praise him and adore him and present that individual in the atmosphere where he would want to be just like us. Hallelujah. To be just like us. That's what the world is looking for an example. Well, that example is Jesus. But they can't see Jesus unless we portray him in us. All right? That's the only way they're going to see him is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in us. So if the world is going to see Jesus... How, does it, how do they see Jesus? In His body, which is His church. We represent Him. So He had a compulsion to see Jesus. Something moved upon Him, and He broke out of the cloud, run down, crowd, run down the road, and climbed into the branches of a tree, and He waited there. Now you've got to realize that pride and dignity usually accompany, uh, accompany those that are rich. And this man had lost all of it. Here was this rich little man... <laughs> running down the road, spotting a sycamore tree, and he climbs up in that thing. All his dignity gone, all of his pride gone. Friend, that's what happens to us when we get a desire to see Jesus. We'll put anything aside in order to see Him. Yes, well, they'll leave their formal churches. They'll get a hungry desire to see the Lord, and they'll lay aside anything. But that's the heart that has been prepared by the grace of God to meet Jesus. That is a heart. Now the Bible tells us that no man can come unto Christ or unto God except the Spirit draw him. We realize that, don't we? And a lot of times we try to force humanity into the presence of God. They don't receive it. But what we need to do first is ask God to send His advanced grace there and prepare that heart. Get it ready. And then when it's ready, and it comes into the house of God, it's ready to accept God. Now, I don't know what this story says to you, but it says to me that grace is a love that seeks us out regardless of our status of life. In other words, Jesus didn't look at Zacchaeus like everybody else did. Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus as what he was. He saw Zacchaeus as to what he could make out of him. Amen. Now, he never saw me for what I was. He couldn't have. And most probably, he didn't see any of you for what you was. What he saw is what he could make out of you. What he could do with you if he ever got a hold of you. That's what uh, Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. And his grace was a love. I just sought him out. When everybody else had turned their back on him, when nobody else wanted anything to do with him, God sought him out. It's easy to get lost in this world. You know that? This world offers a lot of places to get lost. We can become lost in pride. We can become lost in greed. Zacchaeus was, you can become lost in pleasure. A lot of places you can become lost in this world, but Jesus comes seeking us. Remember the end of it, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's his primary business in this world. That's what he did when he walked to shores of Galilee three years and a half, sought and saved those that was lost. And then he transferred that grave responsibility and placed it upon the shoulders of his church and said, now you seek them out. It takes him to save them. But it takes his grace to reach out. And I thought, God... A lot of times we have our programs when it comes to revival time. We have our great big ads splashed in the paper and some man's picture as if he's a god of some type. And entice individuals to come to the house of God. Now, I don't know that I'm against all of that. But I know this one saying that does not produce revival. That does not produce results. Sometimes it produces crowds. But we're not after crowds. We're after some way to reach a heart. We're after a soul. Whether it's one soul or a hundred souls, we are after souls. And so the best way to have revival 
is to have intercessory prayer and ask God to move into your assembly that which He knows needs Him. And that whose grace can reach out and bring them in from the streets and from across town and from the taverns, all right, and from the houses of ill fame. And he might even get in the rich places sometimes. But uh, this man here was the worst kind. And yet Jesus wanted him. Jesus saw his need. Well, you've got him out there. The world is full of him. Your town is full of them. And we can witness. We can talk all we want to. But until the love of God and the grace of God stirs that heart, what we say is of no value. And I've said in God some way, Somehow, let me pray a prayer that would cause your grace, advanced grace, to go out and reach a soul and prepare it for an encounter with you. And when it does, comes into the house of God, it's going to get something before it leaves because it's ready to meet Jesus. It's ready to meet Him. Well, even though we're alienated from God, He comes looking for us. He come looking for every one of you. Like a shepherd, he puts it out in parables to look for lost sheep. Like the woman that looked for a lost coin. Like the father that looked uh, diligently down on the road for his lost son. He diligently looks for those that are lost. And he wants to reach them. Zacchaeus received the Lord in his house joyfully. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, he was ready for a change. I'm going to say again, he knew everything Jesus stood for. He knew that he stood for everything that he didn't stand for. And he was against everything that he was doing. But something had taken over Zacchaeus' life. Something had made this man want to see Jesus. And he was honored to have Jesus in his house. And it humbled him. You want to know why it humbled Zacchaeus? Because he knew what it cost Jesus to associate with him. He knew that when Jesus turned to him, a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the followers and even maybe Jesus' disciples would not understand. And sure it's bore out in that that they said this man is uh, eating or going to the house of a sinner. And Zacchaeus was humbled because he knew it was costing Jesus something to associate with him. And let me throw a little bombshell if that is the case. It cost Jesus something to associate with every one of us. It cost him his life on Calvary's tree to associate with us. And yet he still does. This man was ostracized. This man was hated. This man was totally rejected of his fellow Jews and everybody else, but not by Jesus. And this Moved Zacchaeus deeply. And he stood in the presence of Christ. <laughs> he could feel his heart soften. Friend, you can't get in God's presence without Him softening your heart. Amen. He'll do something to that heart. I mean, if you really come into His presence, He will do something to that heart. He started softening old Zacchaeus' heart. And standing in the presence of purity... He saw all of his impurities real clearly. That's why, and that's why it's dangerous to get in the presence of Jesus if you don't want to see what's wrong with you. He's just like a giant mirror that reflects back and his purity and his glory just reflects back everything that's wrong with you. And Zacchaeus could see things he had never saw in his life before. He could see some of the things he was doing. And his conscience that had been dead for so long, began to come to life again. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he felt, perhaps for the first time, shame for everything that he had done. <laughs> shame, you know, that's the best start in the world when you come into the presence of God. And when you see your impurities and your conscience never bothered you before. And then all at once, you're feeling shame. For everything that you've done. You've come into the presence of divinity. You've come into the presence of glory. You've come someplace that you've never been before. And your life is manifest. You can see it now. Things that you long since put asunder. 
and you refuse to look at things that pricks your conscience for a little bit and then you have done them so often that your conscience was deadened to that and you come into the presence of Jesus and all at once your conscience is awakened. I've even found that is so in Christian lives that if we walk so far away from Jesus, walk so far away from Him, sometimes our conscience becomes deadened. Little things maybe that's not great sins, if you can classify sins. Little things maybe that wouldn't send you to hell. But things which would bring you closer to Jesus if they was not in your life. And when you come close to Him, you begin to see these things. I'm persuaded to believe that's why a lot of people walk a little far away from Jesus. They just walk far enough away from Him to have waving distance at Him. Because they know. And if they get into His presence, He's going to challenge their lives. He's going to look at them and say, Look, you want to come close to me? Here's the way to do it. But here's Zacchaeus. He felt for the first time shame. But that's not all Zacchaeus felt. <laughs> he for the first time felt hope. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you're ever hopeless, and I'm sure most of us that have known Christ, and before you knew him, it was hopelessness. You wondered, no man can furnish you hope. Before Christ finally came to me or I came to him, I looked every place in this world for hope. He was a boy that was a hopeless alcoholic. Couldn't stand to be without it for a day. Had to have it. Was ruining my life, ruining my health. I sought doctors for help. I sought my friends for help. And it was hopeless. My life was absolutely ruined. I was going down the downward road into destruction, but I came in contact with Jesus. And I won't believe anything else in this world beside mom and dad who never gave up on a child they had. Not at any time. Almost all of us have went out and been wayward. We shouldn't have, but we did. But I can remember coming in sometimes Almost a drunk, I couldn't hardly stand up. I got to hear mom saying a prayer for me. Keep my boy. Keep him safe. Don't let the powers of hell destroy his life until you bring him into the presence of God. And I'll not believe anything else but what those prayers prepared this heart to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and cause shame in my life and reproach in my life. I don't know if I've shared this before or not, but every once in a while I would get brave enough to go back into my home church where Dad was minister. Revival came one time. I went. The Spirit of the Lord was strong there. And of course, I always held on to the pew to keep from going. Spirit was so strong there and a lady was standing there and uh, she wanted to get out. She told the lady standing there, I want to get out. I need to go talk to that host club boy. And the lady standing there was a member of the church there that Dad was pastoring. And she just held her hand there and said, Just as well stay where you are. You just as well leave him alone. He's going to go to hell. He's been a reproach to his dad, a reproach to this church. And uh, there, there's no way. Just as well forget about it. Because he knows the right way. And he's going to go to hell. That's all there is to it. He's just been, been a mockery and a reproach. And my little mother who stands under my arm. She probably weighs maybe 80 or 90 pounds now. She can stand right in under my arm. And she happened to hear that lady. And she looked up in her face. And she had to look up too. And she, when, she, when that lady said, He's going to hell, Mom looked up in there and said, Oh no, he's not. I'm not going to let him. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'm glad I had a praying mother that decided she wasn't going to let this happen to her boy. And she stayed on her knees until the power of a mighty God got a hold of me and brought me into the presence of God. And with the Holy Ghost and call me to minister His divine word all because somebody didn't give up on me. Somebody saw all the evil, the iniquities, all the thing that was in my life, and that was there. And I felt hopelessness. 
And I could identify with Zacchaeus here. And for the first time he come into contact with Jesus and hope stirred in him. The burden of guilt could be removed and he could be reconciled to God and man. And he knew that. You remember the words of Je- words, uh, that he said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of, of anything, I restore it fourfold. And this is according to the law in Exodus 22 and 1. And Psalms 41 and 1. So compassion stirred in this man. And love stirred in him. And justice stirred in him. And he began to make amends as far as he could. This is what lets you know that an individual has met Jesus. It's when they're willing to make amends for their past as much as they can. When wrongs has been righted, then it's time for rejoicing. Hallelujah. And rejoicing it is. Jesus said today, salvation has come to this house. Of course it was because he was salvation and he was at the house. He had accepted Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus had accepted him. Zacchaeus had found salvation and he was proving it by his actions. There's something about me that just will not accept the fact that an individual is, quote, born again, unquote, and still live their life on the same vein they always lived it. Still do the same things they've always done. I've always been a believer that if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will change you. And you won't do the things you've always done. And you won't go to the places you've always went. And you won't say the things you always say. There'll be a change in your life. And so I don't buy a lot of this stuff that they try to put out on the television programs. And excuse me, I don't buy it. Because I look for a changed life. I simply cannot buy the fact that an individual can go right ahead and do what they've always done, stay in their ungodly places, and never hardly change anything except maybe say they love Jesus every once in a while. God wants more than that out of our lives. He wants a shining example out of our life. So Zacchaeus had found salvation and he was proving it by his actions. He wasn't just saying I'm a Christian. He was demonstrating that he was a Christian. God help us all to get past the saying thing and get into the demonstrating thing. Demonstrate to the world a good conversation A good walk of life is worth more than a million words. You can tell people how much you love the Lord, but if you can't show them how much you love the Lord, by your actions they'll never believe you. I can remember it used to be, whenever the preacher said it, why, that was the way it was. Nobody seemed to question it. But it's not that way anymore. We have an inquisitive generation. We have individuals and are saying, I hear what you say, but I want to see it in your life. And so-called Christians have turned a lot of individuals off because they've only talked Christianity. They haven't lived Christianity. But a real contact with Jesus, like Zacchaeus had, thank God, made him aware that he had to do some changing and he didn't care to change. I mean, when you come to Christ, you really don't give up anything that you, I mean, you give up a whole lot, but you don't want it. Somebody asked me uh, if I still drink. I said, yes, I drink all I want to. said, well, you still go to dances? Yeah, I go to all the dances I want to. Do you do this? I said, I do all that I want to. The thing is, I don't want to. There's no thirst in my life for that. There's no need for that in my life. I've got something better than that, so why should I desire that? God has brought me up a little rung on the ladder and let me see that what was there was nothing but death, but what He has given me is life. I don't know anything better you can get than eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there He was. It emphasizes a fact, friend, that no one is hopeless. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
In conjunction with this, I picked up a book some time ago, and the name of that was Inside Story. And it tells of one Thomas Mitchell. When he was robbing a dress shop, he forced the clerks to lie down the floor and went about robbing customers and forcing them to lie down the floor. And all of them did but one certain Carol Clark. And he pushed her to the floor and kicked her several times and threatened her with a knife. But the story says, she bravely said to him, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you leave me alone. And this man is telling this story. Said a look of bewilderment crossed his face and he backed out the door. Later he was caught and sent to prison for which he sent a letter to Mrs. Clark. And this is her letter. On Saturday, February 26, 1977, when I was attempting to rob that dress shop, you made a statement to me that literally and physically sent chills down my back. You said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you leave me alone. And at that moment, Mrs. Clark, he's writing, I felt the presence of something very strong and very powerful, and my physical being was unable to function temporarily. And then he went on to tell her how uh, that caused him to give his life to Christ. And then he may have to spend some time in prison and not be freed, but his soul would be free forever. I was reminded of that when we, in our church at Rosie Claire, had prayed. And this is right along the same line, and we'll finish in a minute. He had, we had prayed that God would open up an avenue so we could reach individuals that really needed Jesus. And down about four or five miles from us was the job corps. All types of boys there that had gotten into trouble and all types of them there. And I went and found out that we could bring whoever wanted to go into our assembly. And so we got the people ready and told them that uh, these people was going to be different and they'd have to be uh, cautious with them and have to be kind with them and yet firm and all of this and got the people ready and I believe they were ready you see you have to get people ready to receive things that's outside our culture so to speak people that we have looked down on and wondered if they can ever be saved Jesus is still seeking them and so we did this and we run a bus out and we uh well, we had success. I don't know how many of those boys found the Lord Jesus Christ. We still hear from some of them, or the people there in church do. And I don't know how many found Jesus Christ. We didn't uh, touch all of them, but enough to make our mission a success. But I remember one time a great big black boy came in. He was about six foot seven or eight, or might even have been bigger, and he had shoulders that wide. I mean, he was big. He was ugly and he was mean. And we had some big boys there that were kind of ushers because we realized some of these boys could cause us some problems and we was going to try to eliminate all that we could. And so we had some big boys there was ushers, but uh, they were little upside of this man. And he came in and he took his seat and he sat there. He didn't cause any problems. I, I preached. And he looked right at me. I didn't know whether to go out the back door or not. I didn't know whether I was reaching.